Hello and welcome to another episode of the Monday Night Wars. I am Scott, he is Joseph, and it is September 18th, 1995. We're at Freedom Hall, Johnson City, Tennessee, for the third episode of WCW Monday Night Nitro. Joseph, how are you doing? Good, Scott. How are you? You know, I can't complain. I'm doing this episode live from my office, so we'll see how it goes. This is, you know, I, I work for you, the listener, no matter where I am, to get these banger podcasts out. I can't wait till you hate it, and then we just end up re-recording the whole thing. And I cut this whole part out. Mm-hmm. But let's get right to it. So we start with an intro, and this is important. This is important. We start out the episode with Pepe. Yeah, I mean, this is this is landmark. This is, I think, this is what our our third episode of this. So this is, I mean, we've 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 hyped him up a lot for sure, and Pepe delivers here. He delivers. He's in a cowboy outfit, head to toe. There's no, you know, mix and match. This is Pepe the cowboy. It's an A plus outfit. Well, I think the interesting thing here, too, is I don't think we've ever seen Pepe at the start before. They usually have him at the end. This is a new thing, so much so that Bischoff makes a point of saying that Pepe is, quote, back by popular demand. So they know it's what the people want. Yeah, and it, it, it's it's crazy that they're actually listening to that when you think about it, because it's this is 1995 and we're talking about a little chihuahua. But, you know, he's special in our hearts and apparently the WCW fan base in general. Yeah, you know, but other than that, we we have a fall ball, fall brawl recap. Fall brawl was the previous night, uh, and then we have an emergency in the back. We're told there's an emergency in back of of the of the arena. We go to Mean Gene. An ambulance is backing in, and the giant Kevin Sullivan get out. And giant is referred to as the one true immortal. They're still doing this thing that he's Andre the Giant's son. What'd you think about this? Well, I, I think, you know, we should probably, obviously we have, uh, the, the podcast episode that we dropped, um, for the whole episode of fall brawl, um, which you can find on our Patreon, but we should probably give a little bit of context to what's going on. The, the giant debuted at the end of fall brawl, um, after the, the whole war games, uh, match, he debuted as almost this enforcer for Kevin Sullivan and he ended up snapping Hogan's neck. So this is kind of the now first time we're seeing him on TV. Uh, so it's yeah, it's a big moment for that, I guess. Beyond that, uh, let's see. I I didn't like the segment for most of most of it. I mean, it's it's the Giants' first time on the mic. He'll get far better many years later. He's not there yet, and he he kind of sounds uh, almost like Christian Bale Batman, but like not not good. And they're, they're trying, you know, you mentioned this, they're really trying hard to push him as Andre the giant son, which I think is just kind of cheap. Honestly, I know this, this, this is definitely one of those things where we're looking at it through the lens of 2023. That being said, overall, I'm not a huge fan of it. The segment just kind of falls flat for me. It gets a D, you know, it's furthering the story from fall brawl. We have to further the story from fall brawl. And I think I, I should, I should do one caveat. You mentioned that he, he snapped Hulk Hogan's, uh, neck when we say he snapped Hulk Hogan's neck air quote snapped Hulk Hogan's neck uh I mean for the no, Hogan of- is dead Scott yeah died in the middle of the ring because we'll never see him again as we talked in our fall brawl uh 
podcast, you, you typically don't come back from that. So we'll, we'll see how the, it'll be interesting to see how they handle that going forward. I mean, I'm just saying, though, most people who get their neck snapped, they don't have pasta mania running through their veins. That's true. And that could have been what saved his life. I'm surprised that company went under after that. But moving on, moving on from that nonsense, let's get to our first match. So the first match is supposed to be the American Males versus the Blue Bloods. So real quickly, the American Males, they are a wrestling tag team in WCW. They're composed of Marcus Bagwell and Scotty Riggs. Their gimmick is that they're two pretty boys. I get the vibe that they're supposed to kind of be like male strippers, like Chippendale dancers, something like that. The Blue Bloods are a heel stable in WCW. They're they're a quote-unquote British. They're, they consisted of Lord Stephen Regal, who is British, better known as William Regal, uh, Squire David Taylor, who is British, and uh, Earl Robert Eaton, who not so British, but, you know, they're the Blue Bloods. Definitely your favorite member of the Blue Bloods. Absolutely. He fits so well with the gimmick. But something happens. We, we have Harlem Heat comes out, right? We're, we're told that it's supposed to be the American Males and the Blue Bloods. But Harlem Heat beats them up or beat them up. We don't see Steven Regal, but we do see them throw Earl, Earl, the Earl of Eaton. He, he gets thrown on, on the ramp, out onto the ramp. Booker T comes out on into the ring, says the Blue Blood shouldn't be here, and that Harlem Heat's going to put up the belts that they just won at Fall Brawl on the line tonight against the American Males. I talked about Harlem Heat on the Fall Brawl uh, podcast, but for those who didn't listen to the Fall Brawl podcast, they're also a wrestling tag team composed of Booker T and Stevie Ray, who are two actual brothers. Um, they are considered by many to be one of the greatest WCW tag teams of all time, if not one of the greatest tag teams ever. The match kicks off. Colonel Robert Parker comes out, to which Bischoff says, and I frankly agree, no, 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 not again. Uh, and he sweeps Sister Sherry, who is accompanying Harlem Heat, off her feet. This prevents her from helping Harlem Heat. Uh, and the American males get the pen in kind of a roundabout way. Um, they defeat Harlem Heat and win the WCW Tag Team titles in four minutes and 40 seconds. What do you think about this, Joseph? I think overall, we're going to kind of see a theme in this this week's episode of of Nitro. It's not, I think they've had two really good episodes back to back. And I think this episode is kind of uh, them falling a little bit back down to earth. Uh, the momentum is starting to kind of go away. And now they're really having to kind of book themselves into relevancy. You know, you had the hot new show. Well, we're three weeks in now. So now you have to start delivering something really different. This is very much kind of a, a gimmicky, you know, kind of old school type storyline that they're doing. You know, the 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 love angle and the distractions and all that. I, I guess I'll start with the fact that the thing that disappoints me the most, more than anything, is the fact that the Blue Bloods weren't in this match. I mean, I, I really was hoping to see, you know, Steven Regal. That doesn't happen. Overall, as far as the match goes, it's very short, but as far as, you know, the kind of in-ring action that happens, you know, Harlem Heat are fun. They're always fun. They always, you know, deliver from an in-ring perspective, I think. I think um, the American Males do fine. Uh, so overall, I'm going to give this a C. I'm not going to be too harsh on it. It's it's not great. I know you especially don't like the Sister Sherry, uh, Colonel Robert Parker. 
love angle. I don't, I don't know anybody who does to be fair, but it's like, it, it is continuing that story. I do think it's weird though, that, you know, Harlem heat just won the titles. They just won 24 hours ago and now they're dropping it immediately. I agree. I think I would rate the match itself a little better than you did. I'd maybe give it a B minus, but um, as you've already alluded to, not a fan of the finish. I'm not a fan of the finish for a couple of reasons. I'm not a fan of the finish because I don't like the Colonel Robert Parker sister Sherry Angle, as we've mentioned. And I go into greater detail about my dislike of that in the Fall Brawl podcast. But I, yeah, but I also don't like that Harlem Heat lose the titles. Gosh, in less than less than 24 hours. I mean, it's kind of ridiculous. And I guess it's it's meant to be ridiculous because they they lose kind of on a technicality they were they were trying to cheat to win and just and they were they needed sister sherry for that and colonel robert parker came in and blew it for them so there there is an angle there right there there's a story there it's push it's continuing the robert parker sister sherry angle but i wish that angle would would cease and again as as eric bischoff so rightly pointed out no 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 not again and that's all i've got to say about that so I'm going to move on because I don't want to talk about the Colonel Robert Parker sister, sister Sherry angle anymore, but I'm going to be talking about it many more times, but not on this, not on this episode, because next we have a snap into a Slim Jim promo. Do you have any thoughts on this, Joseph? It's iconic, but what do you think? Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. It is iconic. Uh, it, you know, I'm not going to grade it because it's a commercial, but. You gotta love Macho Man snap into a Slim Jim commercials. They're fantastic. And then the next promo, we have Ric Flair cutting a, pro- cutting a promo against Arn and Flying Brian. My love affair with Ric Flair only grows as we continue to watch this. Uh, he gives another great promo. He talks about how Arn broke the code, brought in an outsider into this brotherly feud, and they're gonna settle it in the family. What'd you think about this? You know, I, I think I went in a pretty, pretty long rant on the fall brawl episode about how well Ric Flair is able to promote matches and promote the story in his promos. This continues. I, I'm going to give it a B. It's not his, and it's not his best, but it's not because he's not doing anything right. It's just, this is a very solid promo. I don't know if it would be a worthy because I don't feel the bad blood as much or, you know, a, a strong desire, but it's just like he's teasing the next stage of what's going to happen. Cause we've already had the match at fall brawl, but this is going to continue. So he's kind of setting up. Here's the foundation to continue this storyline. And for that, it gets a B he's it's, it's Ric Flair. I, I mean, you you mentioned your you know kind of love affair with him it's hard not to the 95 96 flair and we'll see if it continues but all of his promos there's a there's a point and there's a meaning and it's fantastic you know i honestly don't know what i'd grade it you know b plus a minus i thought it was a perfectly it's you're right it's not the best flair promo we've seen but it's another great flair promo i've got i've got no bad words to say about it um, next up, we had a promo for Saturday night. Nothing really worth mentioning there. And then we're on to our second match where we have Paul Orendorf and Johnny B. Bad. Johnny B. Bad, better known by his real name, Mark Merrow, is an American amateur boxer and a professional wrestler and has wrestled for WCW since 1991. As for the match itself, Orendorf comes out aggressive, 
I, I thought there, there was there was a part in there that I really liked where he attempts a pile driver and Johnny B. Bad kicks him in the head while he's upside down. Um, I thought that was fun. And then ultimately, though, Paul comes out with the win. He defeats Johnny B. Bad. It's six minutes, 40 seconds. What are your thoughts? I think uh, I think overall the match is, is fine. It's kind of a C plus for me. It's there's nothing bad about it. There's nothing great about it. Um, neither of these wrestlers are your top tier wrestlers. Um, but I will say the thing that I really do like, and I, I'm, I'm surprised because I've watched this episode now a few times. I think the first time I didn't like it as much, and it's grown on me each time I've watched it because he's you know he had that whole fall brawl just absolutely just horrible segment which we went well into in the uh, fall brawl episode he uh he is a new mr wonderful that's kind of the, the the thing they're going for here and he it's complete with he has new gear got a new jacket got new trunks and he's got new music uh, and the music is is singing about how wonderful he is, and it's like operatic. And the commentators are absolutely uh, Eric Bischoff and and Steve Mongo and Michael are just going off on it, talking about how bad it is and turn it off. It's hurting my ears, and you know, as he should be. Bobby the Brain is talking about how how amazing and wonderful the the song is, and that it should be played everywhere. And it's that I will say it's, it's dumb. It's corny. And I love it. I think it, I think that is really, really fun. I don't think they go too far with this. I think this kind of peters out, not, not too, uh, not too long after this point, but you know, for the first time it's, it's a fun idea. I don't, I don't think it really lands completely, but I enjoyed it for the most part. So C plus overall. Yeah, it's, it's not bad. I agree. I like the music. I think it works. It's awful, but it's supposed to be awful. That's the point. And I think that's what's fun about it, you know. And and this and this is the new gimmick. This is the new Paul Orendorf, uh, that that he's, you know, has, I think was it at the fall? Was it at Fall Brawl where where he meets the psychic? Is is that right? Am I remembering that correctly? You're you're trying to uh, not remember it, but yes, that's that's where that happens. Okay, yeah. So for folks that you know didn't listen to the Fall Brawl podcast, he he is uh, he's met. By a psychic who tells him that he's had a psychic vision and that and that Paul's back. Mr. Wonderful is back. So this is this is the storyline that he's back. And you know, it's as far as this match goes, he is. He wins. And he's and he's pretty re- aggressive throughout the match. And I thought it was a good back and forth through Orndorf and Johnny B. Bad, both good wrestlers. Mark uh, overall, I thought the match was fine. It pushed the story. I'd give I would give it a B. It's it's fine with me. I didn't mind it. I thought, like I said, I thought there were some fun things in it, like when. Orndorff goes for the pile driver and Johnny B. Bad's upside down and he's like kicking him in the head, kind of like a cartwheel and, uh, and he falls. I thought that was fun. I don't see, I don't see that all that. It's not something I see a lot. And I thought that that was just kind of a fun way to get out, out of the pile driver. Uh, moving on though, we have another promo. This one is something else. We have macho man on the set of Baywatch pumping iron. When the Taskmaster Kevin Sullivan attacks him, and tries to choke him with the barbells. And Macho Man is rescued by uh, a couple of other wrestlers, including Ric Flair. What are your thoughts on this promo? Uh, you know how much I love Mach. I do not like anything about this. It does continue a story. I will give it that. So I will give it maybe a C-. 
the, the whole point of this story is that, you know, the dungeon of doom are kind of systematically taking apart a lot of these, you know, legends, you know, Hogan first. Now they're targeting macho and all this, this kind of deal that they're doing. It, it, it's not a great way of doing it. I think it's a little clumsy. Um, yeah, it gets a C minus. Yeah, the dungeon is opposed to Hulk Hogan. They're they're anti Hulkamania, and their their goal is to destroy anyone and anything associated with Hulkamania. That's kind of the theme with them. I don't think I hate it as much as you do. Obviously, I you know the Dungeon of Doom is not, as we both have agreed, is not a great angle. The Dungeon of Doom really, according to Eric Bischoff, only exists because it was a group of guys that Hogan felt comfortable with, and that's kind of why it exists. It exists to wrestle Hogan in safe matches that are that you know maintain the Hulkamania kind of brand and that he he feels comfortable with. It's it's guy it's guys that are his friends or people that he's wrestled with previously. That's why it exists. It doesn't exist because it's a particularly good stable. But we move on. We we follow from that to another promo, and this is this is Macho Man cutting a promo here. And he, and he tells Flair, thanks, but no thanks for helping him on the Baywatch set. This is this is still paranoid, Macho. Said Hogan's a bad judge of character. Uh, call uh, He also calls the television a video scope. Uh, says Sting, Lex Luger, and Jimmy Hart should be in the Dungeon of Doom for the way uh, Fall Brawl went down. What do you think about this? So in the complete opposite stance of the last promo, I love this one. And uh, so, you know, he's talking to Mean Gene. Mean Gene's the one who brings him out. And I know you know this. And I, I've specifically chosen it as the image for this episode. So in case any listeners are like, I have no idea what you're talking about. You will if you click on this on Spotify or Patreon or however you listen to this episode. This is my favorite macho man randy savage outfit of all outfits he is wearing a red and white top to bottom red and white top to bottom hat glasses trunks well actually tights in this case jacket with the tassels it is so good i think it's like little hearts on it it's it is just chef's kiss that his outfit gets an a plus plus it's probably one of the only times you'll ever hear me grade that high. It is amazing. I love it to death. Now, as far as the promo goes, I think the promo is really good too. This does move the storyline forward, Spe- specifically uh, speaking on the fact that he doesn't want Flair's help. You know, Flair saved him in the in the previous segment that was obviously recorded. You know earlier in the day and now he's coming out and saying he doesn't need flair's help because he's unhinged macho he's paranoid he doesn't he's, a, he's kind of a one-man gang uh not the wrestler just a you know different uh and then you know you mentioned this you know he, he he talks about how hogan you're a terrible judge of character i love it it's great i love it for two reasons one because it does work for the story two it's kind of true. Like that actually is Hulk Hogan. He actually is a horrible judge of character, like in real life. And I, I don't know if that was um, Macho shooting there, but it's, it's, it's a fact. Uh, a lot of his friends end up backstabbing him in his, in his life. So there you go. His promos at this time are, are just every single time he comes out. It, there's so much energy and intensity. I love it. 
as this is going on, he, you know, he keeps talking about, and I think you mentioned this, he's talking about, you know, you know, Luger and Sting and he's trashing them. Well, Luger comes out and interrupts him and Luger, you know, they're talking about how they both kind of want the same thing. You know, Luger wants a shot at the title. So does much Luger does take a shot at WWF in this. That's going to be commonplace. So I'm not even going to, going to entertain it. But what ends up happening is Macho challenges uh, Lex and uh, Mean Gene says, not here, not right now. But overall, you've continued this storyline with Dungeon of Doom. You've established a kind of enemy in Ric Flair. You've continued this paranoid feud about why is Lex Luger not getting attacked. You threw Hogan under the bus while he's out injured and he does actually talk about how severe the injury is so they're playing up that this this promo is really the entire show to me this absolutely does everything it needs to do to continue this storyline forward in many different ways so overall it gets an a for me i think this is another important aspect too of how good macho is so lex comes out and Lex seems to forget the plot for a bit, which is something that Lex does. He's not the best at promos. He trips over his words. He forgets where he's going sometimes. Macho Man covers for him heroically. It's fantastic. Manages to, to fill the empty space long enough for Lex to remember what it is he's supposed to be out there for and do. He says Macho is jealous and that Macho Man has, has a personal agenda too. Everybody wants a title shot. Macho agrees he wants the title, but says Lex Luger cheap shot at him. Macho wants to go right there, right now, as you said. Mean Gene steps into the middle. We cut to commercial. We come back. We're told that a series of slaps was exchanged and security came out and put an end to it. And then we move on. Anything you want to add to that before we move on? No, I, I, again, I think it's just great. And I think uh, this will be a great end to the show in general. But it's not because we have a recap of one of your favorite segments. Hogan's motorcycle getting run over by the Giants monster truck at the pre-show for Fall Brawl. Um, Hogan calls them the Dungeon of Goons, which is better than his previous Dungeon of Gooms. And, uh, and then we also show Hogan getting his quote-unquote neck snapped again. You want to talk anything about the recap or should we move on? I think we're good to move on. Sounds good. And I was being facetious. Joseph does not like the motorcycle getting run over uh, by the Giants monster truck. And you can hear all about that on the Fall Brawl podcast. But here we are at the main event. Ric Flair versus Flying Brian. Brian Pillman. Bischoff notes that this is not the flying Brian we saw a few months ago. He has an, he has a quote-unquote edge to him. Flair gets him in a figure four. Ric Flair defeats Fr Flying Brian. It's a five-minute, 24-second match. Take me deeper, Joseph. Talk about this match. I think this is a great performance by really everybody involved, not just the two in the ring, but oftentimes when you're trying to tell a story, especially on you know in these formats, you're having to tell a story as a TV program. So the commentator's job is to continue that. One things that, you know, one of the things that commentators will often do that really is frustrating for me is when they talk about a separate story during a match. 
Like it has nothing to do with what's going on. This, they do the complete opposite. They are talking exactly about this storyline and they're pushing it forward. They're talking about, you know, Flair's, you know, he's always been a heel, but now he's a good guy. He's a face. They're putting it over. They're talking about how he's kind of changed, you know, uh, turned a new leaf and all that. And how horrible it is that Arn betrayed him and, you know, Fly and Brian joining Arn. Then on top of that, you have the in-ring talent, which is still tremendous. I mean, Fly and Brian is his prime. Flair isn't, isn't up there yet. So he's in his prime. He's doing great. Uh, like you said, he wins. It's a great back and forth match. And then at the very end of it, Flair grabs a mic and, you know, I think ends the show in, in a way that you specifically would love more than anybody talking about how he's going to kick Arn Anderson's ass next week. It, it gets an A. It's a great end. And literally says he's going to kick Arn's ass next week on Nitro, to which I believe Eric Bischoff says something about the censors are going to get them for that. Yeah, I thought it was great. I thought the match was great. As you mentioned, two very good wrestlers in the ring. Flying Brian Pillman in his prime. Ric Flair maybe on the downslope of his prime, but still pretty much there. Still doing all the Ric Flair stuff that we expect. Still wrestling a great technical match. Uh, yeah, the Ric Flair, Flair post-match promo, another great Ric Flair promo. Loved it. It did a great job setting up the next Nitro for us. Got us excited for it. And I'm excited to see another Ric Flair Arn match because, you know, as you know, and as we mentioned on the Fall Brawl podcast, we're not a we're not huge fans of the rivalry, the the Flair Arn rivalry. We kind of don't understand why it's happening. But if it's giving us Ric Flair versus Arn Anderson matches that are fantastic, I'm kind of for it. Yeah, no, I, I definitely agree. I, I you said it exactly the way I would have, but I just. I totally am at this point now where I genuinely don't care why it's happening anymore. Just keep giving me these matches and I'm okay with it. And then we have the out, we have the, the outro, which is hyping uh, Saturday night. Most importantly on Saturday night, we're going to have an update on Hogan and that's the end, but it's not the end for us because we've got WWF Monday night raw. Except it's not on Monday this week, Joseph. I know you've been diligently trying to figure out why that is. Do you have an answer for us? Okay. This is one of the most frustrating things I've had to do since doing this podcast. I looked up all over the internet why. Couldn't find an answer. So, you know, there is another way to do this. They have TV guides on the internet. That tell you everything that was happening on every single day since like the 50s. And I was like, sweet. So I went to go look it up. Turns out they only talk about primetime. So I went, well, not just primetime, but network TV on primetime. And I went, crap. I still can't figure it out. So I literally went on eBay and I bought the TV guide for this week. And I went to Monday on USA on this time slot and it says WWF raw, which does not air on this day. So even buying a TV guide, couldn't figure it out. Have no idea why there's no, that I'm aware of. There's no sporting event. There's no dog show. There's nothing. 
they just they moved it for some reason. So here we are. And we know this is not a typo. We know it happened on September 21st, 1995. And the reason we know this is because Vince even makes a point on the broadcast to say it's a special Thursday edition of Raw at the Memorial Civic Center in Columbus, Ohio. So despite what everything says, what the TV guide says, the, you know, the website that I look up, the, the, the match card and the Times, which also said it was on Monday, it was not on Monday. And we have no idea why. I'm going to call Vince McMahon and tell him that he owes me about $10 to refund my TV guide purchase. Yeah, man. I mean, that must have been soul crushing for you when you cracked that baby open and you found out that you got no answers. I was so excited. When it came in the mail, I've never been excited for a TV guide. I've never, granted, I've never bought a TV guide before. I was so hyped. I sent you a picture of the TV guide. I was like, bro, we're so in. I got this. We're gravy. We're going to do it. Opened it. Starred where Nitro was. Yep. See you. Cool. There's WWF Raw. And I was, I wanted to throw that thing. If I had a fireplace, it would have gone in. But no one can say that we don't do our diligence and research on this program. No one can say that now, knowing that the links you went to to try and figure this out for the, for the listeners. And if you are six listeners know why this is feel free to shoot us an email at whatever email we're going to attach to this podcast.com. That's be, my favorite domain. Yeah. It, it'll be in the, uh, in the show notes for this show, I'll make sure that's in there. But let's move on. Let's move on from that down point uh, to, to nothing but upsides, as we know, is, is normal for WWF Raw at this time. Nothing but upside. We, uh, we go back to uh, a vignette from May 17th, 1993, and we're shown that the 123 kid defeated Razor Ramon. We're also showed shown that the one, two, three kid cried last week. And that's setting us up for our first match with Razor Ramon versus the one, two, three kid during the entrances. We look at razor. We, we, we get, we get the vignette that we've seen two or three times now of razor attacking Dean Douglas in his classroom at SummerSlam. Um, as for the match, it, you know, it's back and forth, but, uh, but a collision, Sends the kid in to the referee, knocks the referee out. That cues Dean Douglas, who comes from the top rope, does a splash on Razor. Uh, kid defeats Razor in a seven-minute, eight-second match. Break it down for me, Joseph. So I kind of feel about this kind of the opposite that I felt about the WCW episode, where I feel like this starts off pretty hot. I think this match overall is very fun. Um, it does a lot of things that we look for in a match. It's great in ring action. Um, it tells a story in the ring. It tells a story outside of the ring. It continues the storyline going on between Dean Douglas and uh, Razor Ramon. <clears throat> and almost this three-way. It's like it's like a love triangle without the love. And it it's really, really well done. There's honestly some really fun spots in the match that I enjoyed. The first, the beginning of the match is really just Razor kind of tossing Kid around. <clears throat> You've kind of got that heavyweight versus cruiserweight feel which i really enjoy um even though you know razor obviously is is tall and very muscular but he doesn't move like a heavyweight does he moves around very very uh fluidly there's a there's a moment where 
I don't know what this move's called, so I'm going to describe it. One, two, three kid does this flip over back suplex. So he'll usually put his leg over their head. He'll do a backflip, catch you in a back suplex form, and then back suplex you. It's a great move. I've always loved it. It gets countered into Razor Ramon. So he does the flip, and as he lands, Razor Ramon grabs him and choke slams him. And I got to say, Razor Ramon actually has one of the nicest choke slams of all time. It's very simple, and it fits his style. Uh, the crowd is super hot for this match, and I think deservedly so. It's a lot of fun. Obviously, as you said, there's the ref bump. Dean Douglas interferes, sets up Kid for the win. Overall, you've got a hot crowd. It continues two storylines at the same time. It builds on, on Dean Douglas's momentum, uh, and it doesn't hurt Razor because Razor doesn't lose to someone he probably shouldn't lose to cleanly. He, he loses due to nefarious reasons, which I think works really well in this. So overall, B-plus for me. I think you're right. I think it was a fine match. Uh, we've seen this match before. You know, we've seen one, two, three kid and uh, Razor go at it as, as we saw in on May 17th, 1993. thought it was another good match from both of them. Um, I thought, yeah, I thought the finish this time was fine. I, you know, previously we, it's kind of the reverse of the finish we had last week where uh razor lost, lost a match because of one, two, three kid and Dean Douglas, Dean Douglas comes back, does it again. I thought it was much better this time. It also made sense this time. The finish wasn't confusing like it was on the previous episode, where for some reason, despite Razor getting hit, Razor lost. This time it makes sense. It's well done. I thought it was I thought it was a, a good match. And then from there, we continue the story. We continue the story with a promo as Dean Douglas grades the match. The one, two, three kid gets a, a D for dumb. Razor gets an E for elevate which Razor is trying to do by facing Dean Douglas. He's trying to elevate himself because Dean is so much better than he is. Dean gets an A, and Razor versus Dean in your house gets an N for no-brainer, which spells Dean. Joseph, tell me. Okay, so you know, uh, one thing I will say real quickly, the reason he gets the, a D for dumb is because, uh, one, two, three, kid, I mean, is because uh, he is dumb to think that he beat Razor and that it wasn't Dean Douglas who did. I think this is a good point because this is really a lot of screen time here for, for Dean Douglas to kind of talk about who this person is, because I think this character has legs, though it is a very, very um, critiqued character in wrestling history. So I'll kind of give you the backstory of who this individual is and then explain kind of why that looks, uh, why it looks so bad in retrospect. So Shane Douglas began wrestling, uh, to my understanding, in 1982. Uh, over the next decade, he'd kind of wrestle in a lot of different um, different promotions. He was usually a mid-carter. He wrestled a few times with both WWF and WCW. Uh, but it wasn't really until 1993 when he began wrestling for what was then Eastern Championship Wrestling. And he'd kind of you know rise up through the ranks in that. Eastern Championship Wrestling was being run by uh, Paul Heyman. This would obviously become extreme championship wrestling, but it hadn't yet. Through this, he starts becoming uh, this arrogant villain known as the franchise, the franchise Shane Douglas. And eventually he'd uh, actually win the NWA world title in a tournament. And then he'd have what is, I, I had this written as infamous moment, but it's not infamous at all. It's actually a famous moment. He would actually take the title and throw it. And he'd say that he didn't want to be a champion of a dead promotion, which is a huge moment. And instead, he would hold up the ECW title and declare it the ECW World Heavyweight Championship. This is a career 
making moment for Shane Douglas. He ends up building a ton of momentum. He's one of the big faces of ECW. Eventually, he ends up moving. Uh, he gets a call from uh, from obviously Vince, and Vince convinces him to to come in. This is something that he talks about very negatively himself. Talks about meeting Vince with his wife, Shane's wife, not Vince's wife. I, don't, I have no idea if Linda was there. And basically, they both kind of don't really see the vision that he has. But this is also a ton of money. This is one of those moves, one of the few moves at this time that you could say WWF has what is a needle moving move. This is the hottest free agent in the independence. He is huge. He's made himself nothing. So what ends up happening here is he ends up going to WWF and he becomes this Dean Douglas character, this character who is, you know, the, the a dean of a university that doesn't exist. And so he's, you know, an intellectual. And people criticize this because his, you know, Shane Douglas character, the franchise, was so, you know, based in reality. And this is a cartoony character. It's seen as one of the worst ways to debut somebody in wrestling history. It's criticized a number of times. I'm actually going to push back on that criticism. I, I frankly don't agree with it. I think that you know what you're getting into when you go to WWF. You're going to have to create a character. This is a character. I think this character has legs. I don't think it gets complete commitment. And that's the downfall of this character. There's other things that we'll talk about as we get there. So if you're listening to this, you go, well, the click, but we'll get there. But at this moment in time, this character doesn't feel like it has complete commitment. I think the segment's okay. Gets a C plus for me. I don't think he's very much behind this character at this point. I don't think he ever will be, but I think you can see what the potential is there. So unfortunately, it is something that is, is you know, not, this is actually infamous. This is infamous, not famous. Um, but unfortunately, that's just kind of the way the cookie crumbles. Overall, this gets a C plus for me. Are you sure it's not infamous when you're more than famous? Yeah, it means all those things that I said. And it'll save me money. So moving on to the next match. The second match is Tatanka and Kama versus Savio Vega and Bob Holly. We're showed in the run-up to the match that Ted DiBiase got slopped at Superstars by the Godwins. Other than that, it's really, I think, kind of a straightforward match. The Million Dollar Corporation uh, defeats Savio Vega and Bob Holly. It's a five-minute, 47-second match. Tell me more, Joseph. Uh, I think overall it's, you know, fine. Um, it's not my favorite match. I think, you know, you've got some people who are kind of directionless at this point, the whole million dollar corporation in general, I, I just never got behind. Um, I don't understand it. There's no real point to it, especially because Ted DiBiase, he can't be a wrestler. So his whole gimmick was based on kind of being able to pay people to lose to him or pay for help to help him win. It doesn't, there's no, there's no reason for this. Uh, Tatanka has been in, in WF for a long time, native American character. Uh, for a, for a long time, he was wildly popular. He's now a bad guy because he's part of this million dollar corporation comma. Uh, most notably before this was Papa Shango, uh, also in WWF. Um, he, this is a character or an, or a wrestler rather who, who's going to become a lot of different characters and we'll just kind of get there as, as, as we go. Um, some are more well-liked than others. I think his look is cool, but I don't really think comma has much going to him. <clears throat> Savio Vega 
another guy who's just kind of directionless. You know, the the crowd seems to like him. He's kind of dancing around, and they're they're, they're definitely happy to see him. But he's really got nothing going to him. Uh, spark plug, Bob Holly, which is just a not a great gimmick. Uh, Bob Holly is going to become far more memorable as as time goes on. It's just not here yet. You have one guy who's kind of on his way out with Tatanka, and you've got three guys who really haven't found their stride yet. And overall, you kind of feel like this match doesn't have a purpose. It doesn't have a point. It's just kind of there. It's filler. I mean, that's that's pretty much all I can say about it. I have very limited notes on it because not much happens. I, I don't. Yeah, I, I just it's just a match to to fill some time on the episode. It was fine. The match was fine. Again, you know, it was wrestled fine. It, it wasn't terrible, but it just it didn't really serve any purpose. And you know, th- thinking in my head, knowing that you know we've watched beyond this, so we kind of know what's coming. I don't think anything comes of this that I can recall. This is just a match tonight because we needed we needed it for we needed four guys in a ring. These are the guys. That's pretty much it. Oh, the, must- yeah, the other thing I was going to say is that this kind of does continue this problem that WWF has where, where are the tag teams? Like you have a tag team match with individuals who aren't a tag team. If you want them to be a tag team, I'm totally okay with that, but give them a reason to be a tag team. And they're just not doing it. All these guys. Yes. Obviously the, you know, Tatanka and Kama are in the million dollar corporation, but they don't have anything that really attaches them beyond that. There's nothing that connects Sparkplug, Bob Holly, and and Savio Vega. Like I guess my interpretation of a tag team is matching gear and all that, you know, tag team moves. This is going to be a recurring theme where we see tag team matches with people who aren't tag teams. Kind of anyone who's in the room at the time gets thrown in. Maybe it's because Gorilla Monsoon thought it would be neat. Neat. But I don't know. We've got Razor Ramon, and he's talking about how he is ready to hurt Dean Douglas. What do you think about this? So I think this kind of does the opposite of the earlier promo. Well, that's not fair. I I thought the earlier promo was okay. I think this one does what that one was trying to do, and it amplifies it. Razor Ramon really does understand his character. Uh, He he knows how to get the crowd hot, and he does that here. He's completely oozing cool. He's just super awesome. I think overall, this would get an A for me. There's not too much to go into because it's not a very long promo, but I will say there's the two main notes I had was one, a great line. Your Ivy League school can't save you. I think that's a great line from from Razor Ramon. The other thing is this promo makes me now interested in this match. It gives me a reason to go, okay, I kind of, I really do want to see these two guys lock horns. Agree. Razor Ramon, you know, Scott Hall, good at what he does this is this is a good promo honestly i think he's one of the best promo guys wwf scott right now we've said that a couple of times where he's saved just completely saved really bad promos done just elevated promos just kind of beyond what anyone else is doing this is another one that you know despite dean douglas and what people feel about the character or the gimmick razor ramon makes you want to see this match and i thought it was a good promo Next up, though, we have uh, a promo for uh, WrestleMania, the special. It's coming. It had two main events, WrestleMania, Joseph. How exciting is that? It had no main events. Just skip it. It, it had two. They told me it had two. Agre- agree to disagree. Well, all right, then. The third match 
is Jean-Pierre Lafif, pronounced like Lafif, although he's a pirate and a thief, and I'm not really sure, versus Brian Walsh. Um, I got nothing. I, I have no notes on this match. It's three minutes, 18 seconds. It's a squash match. What do you think? I'll try to expand a little bit so that way, you know, it feels like we've done our due diligence on this. Uh, Jean, Jean-Pierre Lafitte, he is, uh, he used to be part of the the uh, Quebecers. That was a tag team that was in uh, WWF for a while with uh, his, his tag team partner, Jacques Rougeau. You know, they were just Canadians. That was kind of the, the gimmick. And you know, they were fine. They, I think they were pretty decently liked for a time. It didn't last super long. Now he's this kind of pirate gimmick. I don't think the gimmick is very great. Um, <clears throat> I, you know, obviously he has the uh, the eye patch over his blind right eye, so that's kind of cool. I think at least you you found a way to take the fact that you actually are blind in that eye and and implement it into your gimmick. Uh, he's going against a jobber though. Blair, uh, I almost said Blair Walsh. Uh, Brian Brian Walsh is a jobber. So there's the, the whole point of this is just to give a vehicle for him to have a quick win and. Uh, you know, let Jerry the King Lawler kind of talk uh, horribly about Bret Hart and kind of continue that feud. Overall, it gets a D for me. There's nothing special about it. It's not even a squash match that gets me excited about this wrestler and make me go, man, I, I really want to see him do more. It It is what it is. You're right. That's pretty much the match. It's It exists solely to hype this match between him and Bret Hart, this rivalry between him and Bret Hart, because Lafif wronged Bret Hart. Bret Hart is, you know, at least at this point, he's he's a fan favorite. He's he's giving, you know, his sunglasses to fans. You know, the the uh, the iconic Bret Hart sunglasses, and uh, Lafif took some of those glasses from a kid, and Bret just doesn't like that. That's where this this that's what this beef is all about. You want to talk about? Do you want to talk about this beef? What do you think about this beef we got going here? I I don't know how to say anything in a positive light on this, and and we we are trying to gear this show as much as possible and not be super negative. I never agreed so, with that. That's true. I that this was my this this was my thing. Um, well, because I think you know in in general, wrestling fans tend to be negative about everything that they don't like. So I you know trying to be you know respectful of that. Overall, there's this does nothing for me. This feud, so I, I, <clears throat> you know, this I'm not a, a huge fan of Bret Hart. I know, I know the six people who listen to this podcast are all gonna hate me for that, but I've never been a huge fan of him. I'm not denying he is a very good in ring technician, I just don't care for him overall. That being said, uh I, I I have a group of friends who are all wrestling fans and I, I spoke negatively of him. And one of my friends knew that we were, we were doing this and he made an interesting point that I thought was very fair, which is that if you look at Bret Hart's 1995, it's not very good. It's a lot of bad booking decisions, but there's other things that you could utilize and go, Hey, he's actually very good. So I'm going to hold on hope for that because I agree his 1995 is not good. And this is like the third horrible rivalry he's had so far. And you got to be careful now because I've promised an email address. And so people can email us now. And this, this Bret Hart take 
is going to get us some angry emails. Look, I've I've definitely changed my opinion on things. You know this. Didn't like Doc Hendricks. I'm a Doc Hendricks guy now. You know, it's possible we can get there, but I doubt it. Well, from that, we move on to our, our fourth and final match, the main event. We've got uh, Min on a Mission versus Owen Hart and Yokozuna. Uh, Owen Hart and Yokozuna with uh, Jim Cornette and Mr. Fuji are defending and Mabel is carried to the ring. Uh, people, The people carrying him are are having a difficult time with that. You, you can see there's a... I don't think that's acting. They're, they're shooting. They're, there's some real uh, strain on some of those faces. Other than that, Owen Hart and Yokozuna defeat Men on a Mission. Um, they win in nine minutes, 30 seconds. Let's talk more about it. So I guess this, you know, I did just say where are the tag teams. Here they are. These are the tag teams. And in the defense of WWF, you have an established tag team in Men on a Mission. And you have a tag team that they did have a storyline reason to get together in Owen Hart and Yokozuna. So you know, hey, maybe maybe I was wrong. Uh, I don't think so. I think these this is kind of we've tapped out tag teams. We got these two, and then smoking guns. That's kind of it. But I'll go into who these individuals are. So I don't think we've had an opportunity to do that yet. This is obviously it is the third episode for our podcast, but it's also the second episode that Raw has been featured because it wasn't featured on the first week of Nitro. So we haven't been able to see really the entire roster. So I'll start with Men on a Mission. Men on a Mission originally were a tag team known as Harlem Knights. On the independent scene, uh, they very quickly got signed because they they've got a great look. Uh, they got signed by WWF, and <clears throat> they got turned into Men on a Mission. Their their mission was to make a positive change in the ghetto. I know you like that, Scott. How do you feel about that? It's it's beautiful. <clears throat> it is. It it really is. <laughs> they they uh, used to rap with their manager Oscar, uh, who they do not have anymore. Uh, and eventually they would obviously uh, lose Oscar. They would win the tag team titles in 1994 and they would end up losing them. Uh, but that kind of puts, that's kind of their story altogether. Um, the the one uh, big thing about this is that uh, Mabel is now going by King Mabel because he won the King of the Ring a few months prior. And uh, so that's, that's kind of a big notable thing for him. That's really his crowning achievement you see what i did there <clears throat> so moving on now i love the silence i appreciate that in fact the more silent the better it is Yay. Uh, moving on. <laughs> all right moving on i'll go to uh i'll go to yokozuna and kind of describe him uh yokozuna is someone that really you don't need everyone kind of knows who he is but again we're gonna pretend like you don't so uh, he's part of a legendary uh, family of Samoans. I believe it's the Anoa'i uh, family. I believe that's how you pronounce it. If I get that wrong, feel free, free to correct me. I would love to pronounce that properly because it's a beautiful name. Um, but he's part of that family. He is not uh, Japanese at all, uh, but he he would wrestle in Japan as the great Kokina um, for a while. And then eventually he would make his way uh, to WWF. And initially he was known as Kokina. Um, and then after a while, they repackaged him and they decided he, because of, you know, his knowledge of Japan stuff, they would make him a Japanese sumo wrestler named Yokozuna. He had a lot of highs. Uh, unfortunately, we're, we're heading towards his lows in his career. Uh, he would win uh, the WWF championship twice. 
um, once uh, uh, beating Bret Hart. And overall, he'd kind of unfortunately get more and more out of shape as time would go on. They bring him back every once in a while. This is one of those times they bring they bring him back. We are heading towards one of the last times we'll see him. But eventually they will put him in a, a tag team at WrestleMania 11 with Owen Hart, which brings me to Owen Hart. Owen Hart is well-loved by many, many wrestling fans. But again, we're going to pretend that you have no idea who Owen Hart is. And I'll go into him. Owen Hart is the youngest member of the historic Hart family. Uh, the Hart family, obviously, inc- including Bret Hart. Owen Hart was an amateur wrestler. Uh, he would obviously wrestle for Stampede Wrestling for his father, Stu Hart. <clears throat> the timeline of kind of when uh, he did is a little bit difficult to decipher. It kind of goes all over the place. It's a little contradictory. But eventually, uh, he would uh, come to the WWF, and he would really not have any gimmick, and he would be teaming with his real-life brother-in-law, Jim the Anvil Neidhart. The two of them would form a team called the New Foundation, a play on the original Heart Foundation. They'd kind of go back and forth. He'd eventually leave that team. He'd go in a short-lived tag team with Coco Beware, where they would be known as High Energy. Was it great? No, but Owen always found a way to make something memorable out of whatever he was given. Uh, Eventually, he would align with his brother Brett uh, in 1993, and that alignment would eventually fail, which would lead to a feud between him and Brett. And this would lead to an all-time match at WrestleMania 10. It is one of the best WrestleMania matches of all time. And eventually, and in that match, actually, Owen would pin Bret Hart clean. It was probably the biggest moment in his career at this point. It's a great moment. It's wonderful. So we're going to go ahead and fast forward. That's kind of who Owen Hart is. Now we're getting to this match. I know you're going to agree with this, but I'm going to, I'm going to state it. Well, actually, I'm, I'm going to pretend that you don't agree with it because that way if we get any of those six people throwing a fit and emailing us, Owen Hart is the best member of the Hart family. He is the best wrestler in ring, on the mic, entertaining the whole package. To me, he is by far the best. This match is another example as to why that is because the only reason this match is bearable is because of Owen Hart. You have three people who can barely move around the ring and you've got Owen bumping and running and jumping and doing, he he almost wrestles the entire match. I think, I think there's barely any time he's out of it. Overall, I would give this match a B minus and it's only because of Owen Hart that it's in the B range. What are your thoughts, Scott? Well, my big thought is that I picked a horrible episode to announce we have an email address. I think that's number one. No one will ever fight us. Yeah, yeah. The six people who listen to this are going to be very upset with you multiple times in this podcast. On this one, though, I agree with you. Owen Hart, in my opinion, is the king of hearts. He is the best Hart family member. I think he is just as good technically as Brett is, but I think he's better at showmanship than brett is i think he tells a better story than brett and as you know people who have listened to this podcast since the first episode know that's very important to us the ability not just the technical ability but the ability to tell a story and to make it entertaining and i think owen hart does that in spades you see i made another made another 
card reference there. That was pretty good. But you didn't laugh. I'm just, you know, turnabout's fair play. Man, that's cold. That's cold. Well, if you liked my joke, feel free to write a letter and send an email to me telling me you liked my joke, but send all the negative letters to Joseph because he deserves them. Yeah, just just tag them with Joseph. I hate you and we'll, we'll be fine. I mean, I'm just going to assume. But uh, but yeah, it's, it's easier if we can just direct them more easily that way. But uh, beyond that note, we we move now to uh, to Diesel and Shawn Michaels, two dudes with attitude, and they're they're ready to win some tag team titles, man. What do you think? I think it's a fine promo. Most of the reason that their promos work to me is is they have such great charisma. I don't think anything amazing happens in this. So to to be clear, I'm going to give it a B, but it's because they are so charismatic. Uh, he does call out Owen and claims that he and Diesel will be the new uh, tag team champions. Uh, and then Big Daddy Cool, he adds his note, and it's not a great one. He just kind of says some lines. They they look like the, I, I can't even remember what he says, but it, it's almost like I thought this was going to be way cooler than it is. And then I'm going to deliver it. And he got a, a muted reaction, much like uh, when I made a joke about the crown and you made a joke about the spades. Um, overall, it gets a B, though. Charisma is off the charts. Man, look at that setup and payoff. It's like we did it on purpose to show how muted the response was. to Diesel. 100%. That's why we did it, everybody. Yep. You got to listen to the whole podcast because it's layered. It's layer upon layer of just <laughs> pure intellect that we're putting out here every single week but you're right i think the only thing i think really the only thing that saves this this promo is Shawn michaels but also they really do have a chemistry i feel like diesel and Shawn michaels really got a good vibe going like i'm feeling it i like it i like the two dudes with attitude i i feel like they're really friends which they are or at least they're in the same click as it were but I, i'm feeling that on camera it, it works really well i feel like they're they're into it they like each other. There's some real chemistry here. I thought that was good, even if Diesel didn't give the best promo he's ever given. And, you know, and Diesel Kevin Nash isn't known necessarily for being the best promo guy. He has some kind of notorious uh, slip ups that we'll talk about as this podcast goes on. But he, he can do a good promo when he needs to. And this yeah, was he's, really he's a he's a peaks and valley guy, right? He's either it's either really good or it's kind of like, oh, OK. Yeah, no, I think I think you're absolutely right on that. But we but we move on and, uh, you know, and I feel like here, though, we come to another promo. Owen Hart, Yokozuna, Jim Cornette, they're still in the ring and we're hyping in your house. And I feel like the problem with the previous promo is kind of laid bare here because Jim Cornette, in my opinion, does a fantastic promo. He talks about how the two dudes with attitude are going to be two fellas that are yellow. He gives us the rules of this match because it's going to be a special match. Um, all, all the titles are on the line. Owen Hart and Yokozuna have the tag team titles. Diesel and Shawn Michaels have the Intercontinental title and the the, the world title. Um, they're all on the line. And uh, and he promises that his guys are going to be ready. Um, he talks about the last time Shawn Michaels and Diesel were partners. It, it didn't end well. How much worse is it going to be when they got titles on the line? One of his best lines is in your house, in your face and around their waist. Tell me about this promo. What'd you think? Yeah, I, I 100% agree with your take on it. It is a an A promo across the board. I think, it, honestly, uh, if 
I think I mentioned the uh, the other day when we did the the fall brawl episode about how if you're a wrestler and you want to learn how to do promos, you know, look at the greats like Flair and stuff and see how they're putting over matches and all that. And I'm not going to go into the whole thing again. I would say, though, if you're a manager, two of the people that you can go to the most are are Paul Heyman and Jim Cornette. There's I'm not saying they're the only good managers. So please don't email me on that. But. They really do a great job, especially as heels, of putting over the competition that they're dealing with while also insulting them at the same time. They'll it's almost like they'll say, Look how good you are, but you're not good enough. And and I love that. I love that. That it's like I understand where you're at, I respect you for it, but you're still gonna lose. And I think that's great. My favorite line, I don't have a line written down exactly, but it, it is where he calls into question. HBK and Diesel's ability to fight for each other when both their solo titles are on the line. I think it's brilliant because he's saying, obviously you guys had a problem in the past. My guys are a team. They're a unit. Your guys have the uh, potential to lose both their titles with one of you making a mistake. I think it's, it's, it's a great promo across the board. It, like I said, it gets an A from me. This is going to be a bold take but I'm going to say it anyways. I really think this might be a perfect promo. I'm not saying it, I'm not saying it's the, the best promo that ever was, but I think it's a perfect promo and what it does, right? He lays it all out while keeping it entertaining. He, he hypes the match. He explains the match. He gives the backgrounds of everybody involved. So we know all the storylines coming into this. And and he's just got some great one-liners. I think it's perfect. No, I, I definitely don't disagree. And, and again, saying perfect is not saying it's the greatest promo of all time. Please don't write us about that. It's just if you were to look at it, it is a perfect promo. It does every it hits every note. If yeah, if this was your first night watching WC or WWF this night, you would know. What was going on with this storyline? You had everything you need in this one promo. And I think that's I think that's what makes it perfect. He just did a great job and it was entertaining the whole time. Uh, we go back to the commentary table. Vince and Jerry are talking about this this match. Jerry makes his official prediction that Yokozuna is gonna win the WWF title. Anything you want to add to that, or do you just want to keep moving? Uh, I actually graded this. It gets an F, and my only note is why. I think you're right there. I don't think it's necessary. You know, after after the that great Jim Cornette promo, you don't need to say anything more. He said everything that needed to be said. It just it felt unnecessary. And, and I, it was I, filmed on a green screen. So and it was really post. And it was filmed on a green screen. Well, and I also feel like saying that kind of spoils it for us, right? Obviously, at this point, wrestling is still real. They're still keeping up the appearances that it's real. Well, so, I, I think as as we all know, wrestling didn't become fake until the Madison Square Garden incident. Uh, incident. So it's it's completely real at this point. Very true. Very true. But it, it had it not been real for whatever reason, I feel like you know this kind of spoils it because that kind of tells you Yokozuna is probably not going to win the WWF title. I think it honestly, it not only is it not good, I feel like it kind of ruins the match that Jim Cornette just hyped the hell out of. After that, we have a quick preview of Undertaker versus British Bulldog for next week. And we wrap up. You got any closing thoughts on that? Yeah, overall, I'd give the show a B. I think you know, when you look at like the one, two, three kid versus Razor Ramon and Razor Ramon's promo, those are just huge pros. 
Uh, I liked the dudes with attitudes promo. It's not their best one, but again, charisma, the way they work together, it really works. Owen Hart does a great job, and then Jim Cornette kills it. So I think that that really gives us a B. It, it's a it's there's a lot of highs and there's a lot of lows on it. I, those lows definitely consist of everybody else that was in the match with Owen Hart. Literally every moment of Jerry the King Waller, he's insufferable through this whole thing. And really, there's no real tag team. And and this episode kind of exemplifies that. Well, that brings us to the end. Uh, let's com- let's compare the two. Let's we didn't we, we actually didn't mention the Nielsen for WCW, so we need to do that too. So give me your overall. Although they technically weren't on the same night, who won Monday night this week? You know what? I'm I'm actually going to give this one to Raw. I think the the highs were so high that it it outweighs some of the uh, the negatives for me. How about you? This is a tough one for me because I thought they were both okay. This was obviously not the best WCW we've seen. There were some parts I really didn't like about the WCW night. Obviously, we've talked about Colonel Robert Parker, Sister Sherry, that thing that's not going to stop. Um, as you can tell, I've, I've, I've already kind of got shell shock about it. But there's stuff I really don't like in the WWF Raw episode either. You know, to me, this is kind of a wash. I mean, if I was looking at, if I was reading this in my TV guide, if I was looking at my TV guide and I was looking at the card, I think Raw wins it. I think who's who's on the matchups is more interesting obviously you know rick flair is great but i think as for the names on the card i think raw wins for both i think it's kind of a wash you know maybe you know i'll go with you because i'm kind of on the fence on this one i'll go with you i'll give it to raw but i really i really think it's it's very close but not for not for particularly good reasons Yeah, I think I'd agree with that. I just think I prefer some of the highs that I saw in Raw. But that's what we thought. Scott, what do the people think? Well, you tell me, man. You got the Nielsen right in front of you. Let me know. Well, I got the Nielsen for Raw. I don't have it for for Nitro, so you'll have to provide that. But the Nielsen for Raw was a 2.7 this week. Well, then I'll let you know that the Nielsen for Nitro was 1.9. So the people agree with you. Raw was the superior product tonight. To be fair, though, this is a weird one to compare the Nielsen's on because, again, they aren't shown on the same night. So it does beg the the question, if Raw wasn't on Monday and Nitro was, why did Nitro drop so much? We're never really going to have an answer on that, but hey, there you go. Yeah, you know, it'd be interesting. You know, wouldn't it be crazy if... It was if Raw because I mean we don't know we 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 haven't we can't go back in the time machine but wouldn't it be crazy if Raw was actually on that Monday and they thought it was going to be on a Thursday but it wasn't I mean I don't I have no idea it maybe it wasn't on Thursday even and they just recorded it thinking it was going to be we don't know this is the great mystery of our time and no amount of TV guides will ever answer it for us so we need you loyal listener to tell us why. We need to know, and we will correct it on an upcoming episode, and we'll give you credit for it. You will get your name will be read on our podcast, and all six people that listen to it will know your name and what a hero you are. Well, I was going to ask because you said loyal listener. I was going to ask, did we did we scare off the other five because of my Bret Hart rant? Well, there can only be one McLeod. There can only be one that tells us what we need to know, or at least does it first. 
But other than that, I think this brings it to a close. Thanks for tuning in again. We really appreciate you taking the time to uh, listen to us rant about uh, something that happened almost 30 years ago. I'm Scott. With me is Joseph. Say bye, Joseph. Bye, Joseph. Hey, everybody, it's Joseph. Did you like this podcast? Well, we hope that you did, and also that you join us every Monday for new episodes. You can listen to us on Spotify, and soon we'll explore other platforms to bring you episodes of the Monday Night Wars. Did you listen to this podcast and think, "Mm, pretty sure they're wrong about that? Well, let us know. You can email us at mnwpodcast at gmail.com. Again, that's mnwpodcast at gmail.com. And correct anything we messed up. Don't worry, you won't bruise our egos. You can also give us suggestions, follow the show, or even just reach out to us on the following platforms. On Twitter, you can reach us at M-O-N Night Wars Pod. Again, M-O-N Night Wars Pod. And on Instagram and Facebook, you can reach us at Monday Night Wars Podcast. And finally, if you feel like supporting this podcast and also getting bonus content, you can follow us on Patreon at Monday Night Wars Podcast. For the low price of $2 a month, you get every episode of the Monday Night Wars and also every breakdown of every WCW and WWF pay-per-view during this era with more content to come. Again, and one last time, thank you so much for taking the time to tune in. We'll see you next Monday back here on the Monday Night Wars podcast. Scott, can you pause this real quick? I'm going to, I need to go take care of something and then we'll we'll just redo the raw. Yeah, bro. Go take a dump. No problem. (laughs) Actually, it's my dog. Sure it is, bro. Sure it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah.